have an auction closing here in about seven hours or so. Buying or selling? Uh, uh, buying. Nice. My my auction arbitrage, liquidation arbitrage. <laughs> it's uh, the laptop stuff. Yeah, and there's some network switches and things like that too that I'm trying to pick up. Are you doing that? Like, is it through different sources or like a single source? So it's through, through? A, a single auctioneer. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they're doing it online only because you know coronavirus. But hey, <laughs> I mean, how long have you been doing that for? This is my first time doing it. Oh, shit. <laughs> all right, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but my, say, let's talk wife. about it because I am interested. It is really cool. <laughs> I but mean, at the I same can, time, I'm I'm you know game for explaining why I'm getting in, why I'm doing this in particular. But it's it was really. It started out as, you know, I live across the street from the auctioneer, this particular auctioneer. So that was maybe, you know, it's not a, not a, not a great start to my story here. Um, I was more curious to see like what they just had in their lot because we, we walk by them all the time and I see all sorts of wild and strange heavy equipment. So I'm like, all right, what, what is it that they actually have in there? And then I came across a pending auction from a planetary research like astrophysics r&d type facility that closed down so i'm like they have to have some pretty neat stuff right so now i'm just going down a rabbit hole right just kind of by accident and then i get towards the end of all the lots that are listed and i see this stack like it before it before it goes live they just show you kind of like previews and one of the pictures was just a stack of like 20 macbooks and I'm like, hmm, the wheels start turning because I've sold several of my MacBooks on eBay before. I know roughly what they go for. Hmm, wheels keep turning, keep turning. My wife says, do I need to put a spending limit on you? I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes, immediately, please <laughs> help me. Yes, yes. So I have, let's see, what do I have? I have it open here. There's four, six... I have seven MacBooks that I'm still the highest bid on. Okay. Which it's been, it's, it's interesting because you can't obviously touch them. You can't poke at them. You can't do anything like that. And they're all roughly the same model, but they're not all the same configuration and they're not super clear which one's which. And so trying to figure out exactly what you're getting before you get it has been difficult, but a lot of people don't seem to notice what, they actually have in front of them here. Like these yeah. are still, these are MacBooks from 2015 to 2018. Okay. Right. That you could still fetch maybe seven, $800 on eBay for. Yeah. And most of the bids are in a 300 still. So dang, that's not I'm bad. thinking okay. I'll take them all, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll take all those chips, you know? So no, it's interesting. Cause really like, if you factory reset, which they probably already are because it's, it's a liquidation from an R and D facility. Anyways, yeah. they're going to be factory reset and, and wiped. Yep. Max last max do last for a long period of time. The only time I've seen max really like go to crap is because people use their downloads folder, like a documents folder and don't delete <clears> shit. Let's <throat> um, <throat> call out. Um, <laughs> that's called an Easter egg from previous episodes. Um, but, uh, but, but no, I mean, they do last for so long. I mean, I, I had one, I had an iMac last like eight years perfectly mm-hmm. until the day it just was like, we're done now. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the day before perfect, the day after done. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting little, little side hustle. Yeah. I found, you know, they're, you know, they're a research facilities. So they had a lot of, you know, expensive specific electronics and things like that. They have a whole stack of oscilloscopes for up for auction as well. And I mean, they're only, you know, if the people I know in, in this space in the past have explained that these things are very expensive and yet the current bids are like in the 400s, 500s and I'm sitting to myself, shit, like these, these are like five grand new. Why are these so cheap right now? And can I flip those? And I, I, I chose not to get into it because I don't really know anything about it. Right. Like but you can, you can price check though, can't you? I mean, a lot of these, there aren't, there's nothing, nothing to compare it to. There's, like there's, really? you just, you just don't openly buy these used on the internet. You know, that's fair. I, I didn't, I didn't find many sources of comparable prices. Okay. You know, I could make a guess, but if, 
you know, the biggest one being eBay. If I don't see that model on eBay at all, either nobody buys this on eBay or nobody wants to sell theirs because it's, you know, it's either a great opportunity or like a huge fail. Right. And I don't want to end up with balance of probability would dictate probably a fail. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm going to err on the side of caution here, especially since I started this with MacBooks, things that I am familiar with. I don't want to venture too far outside of my, my comfort zone here. Yeah, that makes sense. This has been an interesting, Oh, I'm going to up my bid on this one too. Are you all bidding yourself right now? No, no, no. Oh, I was like, rookie move. <laughs> I, uh, I have, I had high bids set on a lot of them. Like this is, this is my like first threshold. Okay. Before I reconsider if I want these items, you know, some of them are, some of the MacBooks are better configurations than others. So I set like maximums, like I'll, I'll pay up to this much. And sure. a lot sense. of them got blown through. And so now they're no longer being considered, yeah. you know, slower core i5 8 gigs of ram kind of things like that yeah so i let those fall away like fine someone else can have those I someone do. just wants those for consumer yeah they're like that's just a laptop for me or my family you're right. like i'm trying to make money so exactly like if i needed a backup laptop then sure i'd probably just buy it for yeah. myself but exactly the the rest of these these are these are going up on the internet like i'm not i can't spend too much because then you know, if I end up spending five or six hundred dollars on these and I can only make a hundred bucks off of them, what the hell What's are the you point? doing? Yeah. Like <laughs> you know, the opportunity cost does matter. Um, yeah. So. so this has been interesting doing a lot of research on a lot of these things. I found some, these are, these, these are the, the strangest things The the, uh, Texas instruments, uh, low power debug modules for US, some USB debug interface controller. That's what it's okay. described at. Very it specific. A, it, they're they're still in their box i mean they're open but they still have the box and there's a lot of five and they're going for 40 bucks right now and they're maybe 40 bucks each at least on ebay still so like those 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 are the kinds of things that i'm going for because i know (laughs) people will pay 40 bucks for one and i'm trying to buy 10 so right this is this is interesting i don't know i'm if i'm ever going to do this again but it has been interesting to say the least. It, it's a nice <laughs> test of a hypothesis, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Sample it's, size it's, matters. But it's not too expensive. I feel yeah. like I spent a lot more on this trial trialing and erroring on the Amazon business than anything else. So Welcome to Growth Number 14. Side hustles and cash factories. You know what? That brings up an interesting point. So I I love side hustles. Um, naturally, I get to a point where a lot of side hustles to me are very unappealing only because they typically fall into a similar camp of super high ROI, but unscalable, right? It's, it's, like, the, it's like the retail arbitrage stuff, right? In the Amazon space, right? People are like, oh, well, I can get 600% ROI on this item. How many can you sell? How many can you get? Well, five. Okay, that's great. Like, that does it, like, how does that help me? Right? Like, does it really, like, so really that side hustle to me is chasing a paycheck. Like, that's not what I want, right? I want a side hustle that, like, at some point I can hand off to somebody else. Or if it's something that I do enjoy doing and it's low volume, like watches, that's fine. But, like, that side hustle to me is more, it's more for, like, getting to wear a expensive watch for free than making money on it. Like, that's just more, like, gravy on top of the whole situation, um, although a lot of people do like transition into like doing higher volumes, They're like, Hey, I got like 50 grand. Let's play, play with like, you know, five to 10 watches and then just keep cycling. Like that's, that's cool too. It's a lot more work in my opinion. So, um, like, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting because there's a lot of cool hobby based side hustles that people get into. And every time I'm like, I don't know, it just seems like a lot of work for what you're getting out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I, this is the, the online modern real life equivalent of, uh, storage wars. Did you ever watch yes. that show? Oh, unfortunately, like, this yes. is, this is exactly what this is. You're, you're bidding on stuff in hopes that you can sell it for more in your right. various shops. It's speculating. Right? That's all it is. It's it's modern day speculating on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least with this, I can see everything that I'm trying to acquire. I'm not guessing about what's inside it, you know. I mean, obviously the auctioneer doesn't know, like they're not going to open up the the servers that I'm bidding on 
to check the quality of the parts or just make sure everything's no. still in there. But and that's the risk I'm going to have to take. Correct. But if you know, when I look it up and see that people sell them used for three grand, you know, I'll take a small risk because I sure. still have, I still have room to maybe fix it if necessary. You know, like yeah. that's that's a risk I'm willing to take because I have the margin to absorb that risk. You know. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe, I'm wondering if I'm just a lazy millennial when it comes to side hustles. I mean, I got to tell you, I've been, I'll, I'll, I just sit at my computer and stare at the screen and click the bid button. Like I'm not, <laughs> the, the most I have to do here is go to the facility that's maybe 20 minutes away. Right. Uh, I think starting after 11 o'clock this morning, which is less than three hours now as we record. So that's, that's the extent of the actual effort. I remember doing retail arbitrage um, here in it's the Seattle area. Things don't things don't quite go on clearance like they do everywhere else <laughs> because people pay full price here, <laughs> you know. So that was that was always, that was one of the hardest parts was you know there is a lot of traveling and grinding involved, but generally you have things to show for it. Yeah. Here, I there was one time I got lucky and I was able to hit up a bunch of stores and I got a bunch of a thing, but it it was not the norm maybe yeah. one or two here and there. And I, I quickly realized this is, I'm, I'm spending more of my time, which admittedly, to, I, I would argue that my time was probably free because I had a day job. You know, we've talked about the day job that you're not quitting and things like that. But that also restricted me to how many hours I could spend in it, you know, toss-ups, whatever. So I was I was able to to disregard the how much my time was worth because my time was already being paid for, but I was still spending a lot of it wandering around, not really finding a whole hell of a lot, and that was yeah. it, it. It got boring more than anything. No, it is. It's very boring. And when you do the math, most people are like, "Cool, I'm making money," and you might be making good money. In terms of net profit, take home, all that stuff. But then when you break it down to an hourly rate, you should have just kept your job. Because, <laughs> like, one, you quit your job because you wanted freedom and blah, blah, blah. And now you're working more for less pay. You know what I mean? So not that, like, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, you know, take a risk and, and go start your own thing. It's just, like, there are things that are, in my opinion, from even, again, personal experience that just were not worth it, really. I mean, it's a good gateway, right? I think it's a great gateway. I think it's a cool... I think retail arbitrage, and yes, I know people run like full-time businesses doing this. To me, my category when it comes to retail arbitrage is that it's a hobby. It's a, it's a profitable side hustle. And I'm okay with that. Like, I think that's totally fine. And I don't mean to offend anybody if you're like, dude, I do like seven figures a year with, with RA. Like, <laughs> hey, I get it. But for the average seller doing RA, that's what this is. Um, and when it comes to – when you look at it and categorize it as a side hustle – it doesn't seem that appealing to me. <laughs> like, not for the time input, man. I mean, I remember going and spending just 10 hours a day grinding it out, just hoping to find stuff. And then you you do fill up your car and you're like, cool. Now I have to go take a Scotty Peeler to like a hundred units, package it, ship it, do it again. It's like, man, that's a grind. Like, I don't want a side hustle. That's a gr like, don't get me wrong. I joke that I'm effectively lazy. And I say that strategically. I say that because it's not that I'm unwilling to work. I do work. I work like 10, 12 hours a day. Like last Tuesday, we actually, we worked a 20 hour day from like 8am to 4am because we had that much to get done and you know, slept four hours, got up and did it again. But I'm unwilling to quote unquote, grind it out. I just, I don't believe in it. It doesn't make like when you're doing the effective, efficient work, yes, double down, do more of it. I'm not saying don't work. But I don't want to be like, oh, well, I'm only making $7 an hour effectively. Let me just grind this out and do more of that. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it it got old pretty quickly. I think I spent maybe two or three months on it before I started looking for alternative avenues, shall yeah. we say. Scalable it was always – even, even today, if I'm in – if I if I go to a Target, when I guess when I'm allowed to um, – I will wander by the various clearance racks just, you know, like I, I can just feel that, I can feel that tingle not to be yeah. gross. Like you just, I'm just like, 
Uh, you know, I'm curious. Let's see what, you know, maybe there's, you know, something there. Yeah. Like it never, you never really, once you've done it, you never really, it's like a drug almost. You, you know, you, you it never is, forget it. It is to a degree. And what's funny is there are people, the, like the people that really like scale the RA business model, they're hunters, right? Like they, they like, it's like the Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Like he just enjoys the art of finding that opportunity, hunting it down, grabbing it and flipping it. To be honest, I, I don't get much from that. I really don't like it's cool. It's awesome, but I don't really enjoy it. I don't enjoy the process of that hunt. I enjoy more so let's let's focus on operations. Let's look at something we can scale. Let's look at something that's like flexible and nimble, modular. Like I like that modern kind of take on things. And so a lot of side hustles revolve around the hunt mentality. And so it's hard for me to find one because I'm like, dude, I would love to have another little side hustle. Like it'd be cool, which is oddly, I mean, it's not a side hustle. It's just a side project, but that's why I started AMZ weekly. It's like, I don't know. It fits, fits the mold of what I like to do. Awesome. I can automate it. Cool. I'm a nerd. I'm a, I'm a nerd, like whatever. But yeah, it's, I, I found it difficult to find a side hustle that I truly enjoy every aspect of it. Because most side hustles revolve around buying something low and selling something high, which means you really got to understand the market. You got to take a lot of risk. And I'm like, I don't, good. I don't know. I'm still scrolling through auctions. Like I found another auction that's about to start here. It's um, like a micro brew, pico brew supplier. Okay. It looks like they're either going out of business or they have, it's, it says surplus equipment, but this looks like everything. So who knows? But there's at least a page and a half, and a page is 50 lots, and each lot is eight units of this uh, Pico, like home home beer brewing set, like like Keurig-type unit, new in the box. The whole palette is still shrunk-wrapped. I'm just like... I found what's next. Like this is this is what I was afraid of. Like these, you know, these go new for four hundred dollars a piece. Hmm. Like, and the wheels are already turning here, and I, I, I fear this is going to be a this is going to be my next thing that uh, the next iron that goes into into the fire, so to speak. Like I, I look at it, and I'm like, dang, I wish I would have known how easy this was compared to retail arbitrage. Like, because this is this is retail arbitrage at like bulk scale yeah which is like the ideal version of it right it's funny because me and you were texting about this uh i think it was last week um and (laughs) it's funny because i'm like i just got done saying i'm not the guy that like enjoys that hunt like it's it's fascinating it's super cool to me but like i don't enjoy it but like i still want to be a part of it so i'm like yo can i just like send you some money (laughs) Like, (laughs) like you do all the work but like cash i don't know like you know what i mean it's it's funny because it's like if that's an interesting kind of concept, right? Like you take, you take somebody who really actually like enjoys that aspect of it, right? The, the actual execution of that type of side hustle, you are like, Hey, like I want to put my cash to work, so to speak. And I would like it to be in that arena. Cause I do understand it, but like, I don't enjoy the actual like execution of it. Could that be a marriage that works, right? Like regardless of what it is, um, that's kind of interesting. It's a very interesting idea that I I really don't hear talked about that frequently. Like you hear from a business standpoint, but what about side hustles? What if you're like, hey, I got two grand cash. My buddy flips watches. He does it consistently. I've been watching him do it. I know he knows what he's talking about. Hey, dude, if I throw you two grand, could we work out a deal where you give me X percentage or whatever, right? Whatever the deal structure that makes sense. Like, that's an interesting concept. It's like you're starting a business together, but not really. It's not that formal. It's just like, hey, it, I'm not throwing you 50 grand, right? It's a little side hustle. Like, that's cool. The the next logical thing that came to my mind here, because I had mentioned that there's still shrunk wrap on the palette. Like, it's literally a palette of unopened, undisassembled piles of these brewing kits, right? The The appliances, if you will. I'm thinking to myself, hmm. Where can I get a truck large enough to carry these home in? Because they're definitely not like I'm going to fit maybe one or two in my car, but these are by the pallet, right? I'm I'm already having to think. Okay, what heavy piece of machinery do I need to rent for the day? That's that U-Haul <laughs> life, yeah, this. for sure. And then where the hell am I going to put it? You know, I live in an apartment. I could fit maybe one pallet of these somewhere. 
<laughs> and then, I, then it goes even further. There's a storage, you know, a public storage type joint across the street. How much would a month of that be? You know, Probably, like I'm, just, yeah, like I'm right, thinking right. so, you know, I'm thinking. Is it worth the cost? Yeah, no, I get it right. for sure. Like, all right, my, if my profit's going to be, let's say, five grand, but it's going to cost me a hundred bucks for one month of storage and I can fit that plus, uh, let's say, 200 bucks, which is super aggressive to rent a U-Haul truck to get it there. That's 300 bucks. Is it still worth it? Probably. Yeah. Like there's, <laughs> there's probably three to 400 of these appliances up for auction here in groups of eight. I mean, that's, you know, that could essentially, you know, if I did my math right, like that's what, $16,000, like re like retail, that's, you know, $16,000, $20,000. Right. You know, even if I sold it for half that, like it, just to move it. Yeah. It's. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's hard in in the in the moment. It's hard to argue with that because right now they're zero because the bidding hasn't even started yet. But if I, you know, if I start bidding and then that pallet of eight that would retail for thirty two hundred or more is now a thousand dollars a piece, I'm going to be way less inclined to do it way less inclined to want to buy all of them, especially because I'm not going to have 50 grand to plop down on these things. Like it's way too risky. Even if you're right, like even if you wanted to, it's like, that would be a dumb decision. <laughs> even, I mean, even if theoretically on paper, I could move these and double my money, right? I don't have 50 grand to make it happen. So I would definitely have to scale back. And well, and even if you did though, it's, it's portfolio theory, right? So what you wouldn't want to do is plop down 50 grand on a speculation. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. Right. And it, this has been my whole argument with RA. I, I had a conversation. I was doing an onboarding session with the aura user yesterday and he's RA and he's like, you know, it does make sense to, to set a, a min price based off ROI. I'm like, I agree. And then he made a comment and it's something I've been thinking about for the past years. Like, but it's kind of irrelevant when it comes to RA. Actually your min price should be 0% ROI. And the argument I make for that, and I want to run a, an actual like A-B test because the buy box still exists at whatever price the market's at, right? So basically you can only sell it at wherever the market is. I've made the argument past like two, three years that, that the higher your churn rate, the more money you make, right? Because it's a compound equation, right? You're spending your money. You're getting an ROI. How many times can you do that with that same amount of cash? If you can do it with twice the amount of compound periods, the effective ROI over time is way higher because it's compounding. It's how it works. But a lot of ROI or a lot of, um, excuse me, a lot of retail arbitrage sellers will see that elusive, you know, three, 600% hold five units for three months and hope that they get it when what they should have done is sold it for a hundred percent and then turn that same capital 10 times in the same period of time, you would have made more money. Right. And so from that standpoint, on the on the liquidation side or like the 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 i don't i guess we can call this li liquidation i don't really know <laughs> whatever um it's the same thing it's the exact same problem or, or situation so to speak where you might not want to do that you might not want to tie up that much capital and it because you don't even know how many you could move in a period of time right do you really want to tie up 50 grand for three six months or would you rather tie up five for for one month and then be able to use that other cash for other things, right. For other, other situations, um, other auctions. And, and in that standpoint, it becomes a portfolio problem, right. Which is good. Like that's a really good way to approach that. <laughs> Cause now you're not, not like cool. If a new auction comes up, that's 10 times better, 10 times more profitable. You can't execute now because all your cash is gone. Too many sellers do that. It's so interesting. It's a very interesting and unique behavior that I see all the time when it comes to RA style or liquidation style um, sellers. Mm -hmm. There's one thought that crossed my mind that I'm I'm certain I've seen before, especially in liquidation type sourcing, is why not sell it on Amazon? And anybody that's sold anything liquidation on Amazon will at some point tell you that is a terrible idea. <laughs> Because you have no proof of authenticity. You have no proof that it is actually new. You have no proof of anything. And I bought it at an auction is not a valid reason. 
Like that's that's exactly the wrong way to do it. It's this. not the right platform. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. The demand is there. The volume of sales is on Amazon, but that's still not the right platform. Not for this. Um, yeah, I, w- I would agree. I, I would say, I mean, I think you could potentially, depending on the product, get away with it if you sold it as used. Because then you can kind of get away with like, or you can say use like new, whatever. Like, yeah, you're kind of downgrading the condition, but you're doing that strategically because, yeah, you know it's new. But based off the TOS of Amazon, is it though? And can you prove it? No. Okay, therefore, just downgrade it. Maybe you can move it pretty fast. Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. It's interesting. You, You got my wheels turning. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, the more we talk about it, the more I'm thinking, eh, I could probably grab a pallet or two and be fine. Like, I, I mean, I could technically, if the price is low enough, I could be convinced to buy them all, but I'm probably not going to. And I'm scrolling through eBay here, real-time follow-up, and new, the, 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 the sold, like, the sold as, like, new inbox ones, maybe $300 on eBay right now. So the price has already gone down 25% since I started talking about this, and I haven't even, yeah, I haven't even put any bids in yet, you know, so that's already... I'm thinking about scaling it back just because of that by itself, but I'm not out yet. Maybe let's see the auctions a week. It starts in a few hours. So consider the the flood in the market is going to, is going to drive the price down supply and demand makes sense. And that's where a lot of people get stuck too is, you know, the, the person I was talking to yesterday is like, yeah, I'm, I'm in a group and there's 800 of us and we all basically get the same product. I'm like, wait, so even assuming just w- everybody buys one unit of the same SKU, you increase the competition by 799 sellers, in- not including yourself, right? There might have been 30 to begin with. Based off supply and demand, you're not moving that inventory, period, unless you get just crazy better pricing because guess what's going to happen? It's getting driven down because everybody else wants to move it too. So it's basic supply and demand problems, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, that's something to factor in too is, it's it's profitable now, but what happens when the rest of those pallets get listed too? It may not be that big of a deal. It may hold. It most likely will get pushed down for a short period of time until that that inventory gets that supply gets diminished, and then you can, if you're willing to hold it a little bit longer, you could recoup some some profit. But for me, I would rather turn it as quickly as possible to get liquid again. <laughs> it's uh, you know these are. This particular item is still sold new in stores. Like you could go to Best Buy and buy one of these from their appliance section. So it's not like it's a discontinued item and, you know, things can go all the way in either direction. But there, I take your point in that if, you know, if there are really 50, 400, maybe 500 of these at least in this warehouse, I imagine a good a good chunk of them are going to end up in the same place that I'm planning, right? Like this is, I, I cannot believe I'm the only one with this quote, brilliant idea. You <laughs> right. know, like that's, that's the, I had the same thought about the MacBooks and that like, that was the first thing that immediately came to mind was they sell for a lot of money on eBay. That's what we're doing. Like I cannot be the only person that's thought that now there is something to be said here about the fact that this is a local auction in that, you have to go pick it up from the facility. So unless you're somebody across the country that knows they can move all four or 500 of these quickly, you're not going to be traveling a huge distance to grab them. Which now counters my previous point, which shows that there's an opportunity that if you can buy out the entire lot, you now control that supply. You now set the price point, right? So there's something to be said about that. Do I want to? Exactly. But, but is it worth the risk? And, and that's the thing it's, it's bound or what is it? Um, expected value, right? Or yeah, expected value. So, so if you take the, the probability of, of this going right times the, the positive effect. So what would be the net profit pl- um, plus the probability of it going south times that negative, you losing half your money or all your money is that positive. Now, EV being positive is not just enough. Because that's based off, you know, over time, right? So poker players use this, right? They, they're always calculating EV. If, if EV is positive and they still have enough cash to play with, they'll continue playing until EV goes negative. The, the point where people get confused on expected value is that they see it be positive and then they execute, but they only have enough cash to execute once. And then it does go south because, it, by the way, it's statistics, it's probability, 
not based is not actual math here. It, it doesn't equate to anything actual. And then they're out. What instead of you should have done and said, okay, I got 20 grand. Let's break it up into 5k chunks. I know the EV is positive over time. I should still make more money. Ideally. Yeah. Right. So with you not having the probabilities to make that equation work, it's 50, 50 in my opinion, right? could go great. Could go, could go bad. But if this is something you've been doing for a year and you're like, no, I got my finger on the pulse here. I can buy all these and we're probably going to be good. Great. Probability is probably 60, 70% in your favor. We should probably do this. <laughs> yeah. No, at that, at that, at that rate, I would, I would absolutely go for it. It's, that's it's more or less how I bet the horses. Uh, <laughs> how I bet the horses. Now I'm at the, the dog track. <laughs> it's more or less how I, how I play the pony, see? <laughs> play the uh, ponies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I joke, but I do, I do do that on occasion too. Like I, I have the, uh, an eclectic set of extracurricular money-making activities. It sounds like it. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll, you know, I'll be flipping through the cable channels because I'm still one of those people that has cable and I'll, I'll, I'll cross over the, uh, NBC's track day live, which is like four hours of just nonstop horse racing around the country. And, and then I'll, I'll, I'll grab my phone and I'll flip over to my horse betting app, Twin Spires. Got to gear up. Call the bookies. Yeah, right. It's it, it's it's a bookie on my iPhone. And I'll scroll through the stats and I'll take a look. I'm like, yeah, okay. I have this probably terrible method of betting on all of the long shots. Because I figure if you have enough of them, statistically, one of them is going to be an upset. So, so you're taking the Kevin Malone approach that if somebody gives you <laughs> 100 to one, you always take it. <laughs> so to eat you it, know, I'll be a little more specific. Uh, if there are nine horses, six of them have odds greater than 10 to one. Statistically, most of them are going to fail and they're going to fail miserably. There's greater than zero chance. And I would, I would argue it's, it's a decent chance that one of those is going to be an upset. The more the more of the field is with that's within that range. Like they all can't suck equally, right? That's just not how racing works, right? <laughs> you know. So if you only have three that are like good, one of them is the favorite as always. But then the rest are all way back. Like you can't out of out of all of the races I've seen, I have never seen a race where those three took off away from everybody, and then the remaining six just kind of sucked. Sure, right? There was yeah. always one. That was at least decent, if not really good, in that whole pack. The the upset essentially. So I'm essentially I'm betting on all of them in hopes that one of one in this pool is going to be the upset. And Have you done the actual like expected value equation on that? <laughs> of course not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're like I have a method. It's but not based I, on I math will, or anything, but like it feels nice. I will say the last time the last time I did this. It was it was a pack of like ten or eleven, and I okay. bet on seven, eight of these horses to place second or better. So I've already hedged even more there, right? Yeah, yeah, it works. I mean, I bet I put down a hundred bucks and I doubled my money. So expected value is one of the things that in in my academic career was the biggest standout thing to me because it's a, it's a framework through which you can make a decision that over time, assuming your your inputs are correct will yield a positive outcome, right? So if we take that to a more complex level, algorithmic repricing, or geez, sorry, I'm so used to saying that. Algorithmic trading is very interesting to me because I focus on investing. Um, that was like my my, my focal point for, for finance. Um, it's really interesting. It's a very tough problem. There's only been two companies and only one really verified um, that has profitably done it for a period of time. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and there's subsets of how you do that. So then the question becomes, okay, well, if that's a thing, how do we apply that same framework to a less complex situation? I.e., could we apply an algorithmic approach for investing, so to speak, quote unquote, into betting on games, NFL, stuff like that, right? So, so, so dogs do come to light. Horses do come to light only because you can theoretically get enough data to build a model to have a have a higher percentage EV of making a bet. Prime example. Um, have you ever watched the show Scorpions? It's based on this guy, Walter O'Brien, super high IQ, got a visa, 
um, to come to the U.S. I mean, highest high, high IQ, like super smart guy. And he runs a, a company called Scorpion Computer Systems. One of the, the subsidiaries of that is Concierge Up. And so basically the idea is that they take geniuses, super high IQs in every facet. You go to them with a problem. Any funded problem is kind of their tagline. You say, here's the thing. Can you do it? They apply their brains. They, they see if they can get it done. Really cool. Been watching them for like probably five years now, but he gives examples of like, cause every time he gets interviewed, somebody's like, all right, give me some interesting examples. Like, uh, my, my, my son fell in love with a Ukrainian gold digger. Like they had, like, <laughs> it's really cool, super cool. But even one he mentioned was like, help me place winning bets on, on horses. And so the approach they took was looking at the actual data of each horse that they were able to get a data set on, right? So if you can get a data set, you can see like, okay, what's the percentage of fast, fast twitch fibers in the muscle of these horses versus slow twitch, like all those things. And then compare that to the winning horses. Eventually you get to a point where you can at least have a very high positive EV. So you're not going to win every single time. And it's not a, it's not, you know, a, a secret sauce necessarily, but it is where, okay, you're going to play, you have, Five grand, you're going to place $100 bets based off that equation. Over time, you make money, and that so to me, like it's a very cool idea that I would love as a side project to work on, because every great side project makes you money. The hard part is actually like I don't know machine learning, so like can't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could figure it out. Like TensorFlow is getting a little bit more uh, user friendly from, from a, a, a script kitty standpoint, but uh, it's cool. It's a very interesting thing. Like I think you could take it to a point where. Um, I don't even think you need necessarily machine learning. It could just be an algorithm problem that if you, if you can bake in the right inputs and get the data set beforehand, why not try it? Like that would be a fun project to work on is could we make money using an algorithmic approach to betting on dogs? Now you would have to figure out what's the percentage of upsets that happen per, per, per race. And then, okay, you, you said, let's say six are technically the upset dogs. One of those are going to be the one. So you can't just place it on one. You need to place it on all six. So now you need to hedge that on the math and financial side, but that's still cool, right? Like what if that does work? <laughs> like that's an interesting thing. So now you just run that algorithm and be like, okay, here's the one. We're not going to win every single match, but over time, positive EV. It's mm-hmm. cool. It's a very cool thing. Yeah. When I, when I was picking my, my upset pool, if you will, there was always the threshold of I can't spend any more than what the lowest odds or I guess the highest odds of winning horse would return me. So if, you know, and so that's why I picked, that's why I picked 10 to one as the threshold, because I knew that if all of these horses are at least 10 to one and I'm putting in a hundred bucks, I would have to, there would have to be more than 10 horses in this pool for me to, 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 to lose money on this potentially. If one of these actually, you know, panned out. And of course it, there were, there were times when I, and this, this is, this is where emotion gets into to gambling and you end up losing it all is that I would, I was like, I feel really good about this particular pool based on my vague understanding of their stats. And so I would, I would bet on one of them to win instead of play second, you know, so I would remove that hedge and then I would immediately regret it because then one of the one of the true upsets plays second, <laughs> you know, like one of the forty to one horses plays second. There, you had a system. Stick with it. Like there's, you know, and I feel like there's enough APIs you could actually pull data for the for for these types of things now, where you could bake in just like a simple Python script that just like pulls out it pulls pulls out from the API, you know, runs it through the algorithms. Like, hey, here's the one we want to place a bet on, and heck, it could probably even place the bet for you, so you could just completely negate you know, you having to make the decision yourself. I, I watched a guy on YouTube create uh, an algorithm, a machine, a, a, a learning machine, if you will, to bet on tennis matches. Oh, are and you talking he, about uh, Kale? Maybe. Yeah, he, uh, the the Swedish guy? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I love his videos, dude. They're so sick. <laughs> and it was, it, it was, it, he didn't, he didn't go super into detail about, how he was actually making the decisions and how he was evaluating the statistics, but it worked. It worked in his favor. And, you know, it's, if, it, if nerds can, can make learning machines that machine learn for the stock market, there's literally no reason why it doesn't exist, why it couldn't exist already for just about anything else that involves putting money into a thing and hoping you get more out of it. 
Yeah. So, so here's my threshold for most things. A bunch of 20 year olds put somebody on the moon with science that didn't exist. I think we could probably figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. It comes down and to the, incentives. <laughs> the old school way of doing, doing it is getting the, the program guide, you know, when in, in simpler times, in the before times, we would go maybe once or twice a year to the local horse track with, uh, with my parents. And cause my mom loves this kind of thing. She, she just nerds out over it and and you know she would she'd go through and explain to me what all of the the statistics means and like okay this horse statistically has done better on a dirt track at this length and when they start on the inside they they tend to fare better like there's all of these variables that are all it's already there in front of you you just have to know how to interpret it so like 80 percent of the work is already done if you could if you can collect that data from the program guide you have most of the information you need already to make an informed but decision. the hardest 20 percent still exists which is a bandwidth problem because <laughs> we as humans are not good at calculating complex data sets <laughs> appropriately so the the professionals get these guides like first thing in the morning you know that's when they when they put them out and they spend all morning studying them you know, there's maybe five, ten minutes between races as they're happening. You you don't have time to study that already. Like you're you already have your plan in place, your 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 horse trading plan, if you will. Um so there there were a few times I felt like I got really lucky and I think it it, it put almost this this ego in my head that I knew what I was doing. I had bet I had placed the wrong kind of bet that ended up actually working out, which was surprising. I had bet on a horse in race one to win, and what I thought was a horse in race one to play second. So I was betting in that order, but I ended up betting on a horse in race one to win and a horse in race two to win by accident. So I'd done something different, and it turns out the odds of that combination were 58 to 1. <laughs> but it <laughs> so, happened. <laughs> so I had put $10 on that bit on that bet. And it, I had managed, I, I came out with $580, if I'm doing the math right, just by accident. And I like, I got so hyped for that. But it was an entire accident. I think that it's, uh, it's a very slippery slope. You, you start getting hyped. You have to realize you don't know what the hell you're doing and be like, cool, I'm out. That's not going to happen again. <laughs> like, we're done here today. That was an accident. That was a pure accident. But... I did go to the track with only $20 and I left with multiples of that. So I, I was feeling pretty good for the day. I was like, look at yeah. this stack of cash I got here. <laughs> so, but I, I don't know how we, I don't know how this podcast ended up becoming about horse betting, but it's well, fine. yeah, I mean, I guess to like generalize it, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, right? Like how, how do you make decisions? I, I think you can apply that to side hustles too. Like, I think for me, the the cool, fun side hustles are things like this. It's like, how do we play with data? How do we put tech into it? Because like, that's who I am. Like, that's my personality type. And that's what I find interesting. Just I'm passionate about it, right? So so to be able to, to marry that type of passion with something else is really cool. Um, but it does go to show that whatever side hustle you want to get into, there is such a wide range through which you can you can approach something through through which you can pick and decide on, but it doesn't have to be like, I'm going to get into horse betting. Like you just do like classical horse betting. Cause it, it sounds cool. Like, no, you're just gambling at this point, right? Like you could take a smarter approach on something that probably doesn't exist yet. Like that's pretty cool. I mean, honestly, I I'm not sure I'm not in the industry. I'm sure it does exist, but maybe there is a huge opportunity in doing that. And that actually becomes a business you just scale maybe you're like yo this works i've tested it with all my money <laughs> let me go raise 100 grand and just increase the volume through which i do this now it becomes like an uh, uh, alternative investment fund right like these are how things <laughs> like cool things start i mean yeah that's really it right um you see that happen with watches you see it happen with classical cars now where people are saying hey i'm going to invest in this car nobody gets to drive it it's parked into a warehouse but it cost me a quarter million but i think it's gonna be worth half a million in the next three to five years alternative investment fund done i will never forget the guy at the horse track who if you're if we'll say we'll just call them high rollers if you're a high roller you have like a, a dedicated like trackside suite and whatnot he was just non-stop betting and cheering and going nuts by himself he had nobody with him but these little suites have displays that are showing other races around the country and he was just going nuts over everything that was happening like this guy 
this guy bets. <laughs> like, yeah. He is a there. Pure emotion. He has a system. He, it, it, this is just a money factory for him. He is, he gives no craps about the horse. He doesn't care anything about anything besides this is an avenue for him to give, put some money in and have more come out. Like this is, that's all it is for you him. You know what I've always wanted is a, is a, is a cash factory. I like that term. <laughs> you mean a that, mint? <laughs> a mint. I want a legal mint. Like, I think that's every nerdy kid's dream growing up when you get into tech and you, you have a vague, you have enough understanding of what's possible, but not so much understanding that you don't know what's not possible, if that makes sense. And you're like, if I could just build a, a, a app, a, a thing that somehow just makes money for me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Is that just me? Did you have that growing up? Like that vague idea of like, oh my God, what if this could happen? <laughs> I do. I do have vague memories of inspecting money thinking, ah, oh, this can't be that hard to, to, to print my own. Right. Like it doesn't, you know, it's okay. Well, I didn't want to be a criminal. Jeez. I, I meant more <laughs> well, like legally. <laughs> I mean like code, like, like I create a script that like can analyze horse races and just does it for me. That's my cash factory. Not like literally printing money. Oh, no, no, no. I was thinking about a literal cash factory. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I have totally considered printing money because it's cool. It's interesting. Um, catch me if you can. Really got me hyped. I'm like, I could totally pull this off. <laughs> Secret service, please don't email me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Turns out that's highly illegal. Um, probably yeah, who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Like, why don't we just print this stuff? It's like it doesn't come off a tree, but it does come out of a printer. We got one in the in the back, so <laughs> it's a really not the same printer. printer. Gotcha. How do we how do we get one of those printers? How do we get that <laughs> that special twenty five percent cotton paper? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my god, the cash factory. I like it. So this really was an episode about nothing in particular, which is totally fine. We we started side hustles on a good and cash track. factories. Side hustles and cash factories. Title. See. <laughs> <laughs> I'm creative. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I um I've still been looking through auctions as we've been talking like it's 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 mildly addicting. The your, uh, your multi-threading capabilities are astounding, sir. <laughs> the um the microbrew warehouse joint has a a higher end model on pallets too. Harder to discern because the boxes are all brown, but I'm like hmm. Mm, this is getting interesting now. <laughs> it's, I just, I, it's, I can't. I have to. I have to restrain myself. There are literally pallets and pallets of supplies by themselves for these devices. It's just like you know, like you imagine if you've been to a Costco and you see the giant boxes of K cups, right? It's like the same thing, but for microbrewing beer. <laughs> I'm just like, it's a palette of 24 i'm like i'll take it yeah i feel like you can move 24 pretty quick though yeah especially since they're consumable the problem is the space like for me it would be the space more than anything like i could i could get permission to spend several grand on these things if i can prove that there's a market to sell them like that wouldn't be hard the hard part is finding a place to put it so just stack them wall to wall i'll just put them up behind me here there's there's as i say that and i flip over to the next page lot of 270 serving kegs <laughs> sold <laughs> you know like the small like heineken like size kegs yep. you know <laughs> just like god damn it. like honey we're is, moving the uh bed out of the bedroom how do i how do i flip this and then the next page is how do i flip this like how do i how do i make money off rabbit of this? hole rabbit hole rabbit this hole. is this is a thing i cannot let myself get into because <laughs> I know exactly how I would end up by with this and it would be buying everything and it would be regretting it later. So you're saying it's, we should, we should instead build a script for betting on horses. Uh, yeah, I would prefer that <laughs> because there's at least some, some hesitation there. I mean, I, I look at the, there's refrigerators, just rows of refrigerators. How do I flip a refrigerator? Like, that's, I, that's this is well, like, yeah, that's I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like I'm, I'm having like my own little mini Gary V moment here. How do I flip this row of pallet jacks? I think you're having a meltdown <laughs> is what you're having. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't spend money in the morning. <laughs> that's fair. I like that as a rule. That's good. I don't, if I, I can't, 
I, I am not thinking. It's funny. I'm about to say I'm not thinking my clearest, and here we are talking about you know important knowledgey learning things and knowledgey learning things. I like it. <laughs> we already have a show title. We're good, right? Right. I'm telling you, we 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 need to start like a, a side fund for side hustles. Where like all you do is you you we we help you scale your side hustle with capital, but it's like small increments, right? It's like five, ten grand. Yeah, it's like it's like Mike it's like um it's like micro Don lending, Hennig, basically. It's like Don Hennig's version of, of lending, but like on a micro loan scale. Yeah. Yeah, and it it's not for like you to scale it, like maybe you want to scale it into a business, but it's more just like, yo, I just want to do more of my side hustle and like it's it's not good. I don't want it to be my full time primary thing because like I love my job, but I want to scale it further. Cool. The ROI on an investor's standpoint might still be pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, the the hard part would be finding the the evidence, if you will, that whatever somebody's doing with this money is actually going to pan out. Like unlike, you know, pure statistics based activities like day trading and horse betting. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that falls like into it, you know, cuz there's a lot diligence. of statistics involved, but Sure. You know, if it's a startup, you can invest, you know, they have they have documents they have balance sheets. They have all these other things that kind of sort of prove what they're doing. Whereas if somebody's somebody like me is looking to buy 40 pallets and shove them into a semi-trailer of uh, well, it's people gonna be established. <laughs> it's going to be like, yo, you've been doing this for like a year. Like you've, you've got history. Yeah. There's still going to be, otherwise the, the effective, you know, expected uh, ROI is going to be like 20% to account for that, that risk factor. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It'd be cool. So I have some Pico Brew kits that I'm about to bid on. You want to get in on this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, my God. I'm curious to see how it plays out, though. Like, if it plays out, we, we definitely need to talk. I don't think I want to – see, it's funny. Me, I don't know how many and, more side hustles I can fit into my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> me and James were talking. We were talking about, like, Neuralink and all, like, the, the crazy biohacking stuff, P, you know, BCIs and whatnot. And we're like, I'm not the person who wants to go first. <laughs> but I don't yeah. want to be like a laggard in that standpoint. I'm like the second, I'm probably like the third person. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to be like the first person to go to Mars, but like I'm definitely the third person to go to Mars. You know what I mean? Like I'm at the forefront, but like, let's, let's prove this thing first. You know, I'm not trying to be on the edge of science. I'm like near the edge of science, you know? So, so do it a few times. <laughs> we'll I'll talk. let you know how this, how the MacBook <laughs> thing works out. I feel it's, like the MacBook are going to be the best bet though. I I know if I sat on it for a little bit, I could probably get closer to eight, 900 a piece, but I would rather just turn these quickly. That's just, the thing, you know. man. Yeah. Anything arbitrage related, you need, you need to churn it and get liquid fast. I will, we, I will take any and all best offers. I, whoever <laughs> wants to give me money first, Boom. it is yours. I don't even care. You know, like that's, that's the, the mindset I'm, I the have model. here. I like but. it. 